right, everybody, this is Alex with the Base Brotherhood, and we are joined here today by Jim Hansen. Jim, how's everything going? Oh, man, I'm happy. How about you? I'm doing great, dude. And first of all, I just want to start off with a little background here, because Jim and I were supposed to meet uh, this last weekend <laughs> in Orlando during CPAC, and you know he was at the show, I was around the area in, enjoying some of the festivities, and we were supposed to meet, and I got to tell you this story, Jim, so I go to the Shingle Creek. And I go through the security gate, and the guy's like, hey, what's your business? And I say, well, I'm going to meet a friend at the pool. I'm a provocateur, is what you really said, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he let me through for some reason. But anyway, I go through the gate, and I get put in this circle around the main lot like six times. And so these guys are like waving me through, but there were cones blocking off um, any cars getting into the main parking lot. And I went around like literally five or six times and I'm just thinking, are they going to eventually open up, you know, a certain an, an entrance? Because I saw open spots and I finally said, dude, just talk to somebody. Stop being a stubborn guy and just <laughs> ask one of these people what the hell's going on. And I said, is the parking closed? And he's like, yeah, it is. I'm like, this is going to be a hell of an ordeal. I'll just have to catch Jim um, at a different time. And here we are now. So and, and you avoided actually going into CPAC, which I think is a bonus, <laughs> you know, better for your mental health. Yeah, well, I, I just want to ask you. So I didn't actually go to the show. I was just around, went to, you know, a couple of parties. How was the show? Did you enjoy it? Did you, what, what was the lay of the land like? You know, we, we need a CPAC of some sort. You know, it's kind of like yeah. the Comic-Con for conservatives. You know what I mean? You got lippers <laughs> and your cosplay people and, and everyone needs a place to go and let the, let the celebrities of the right do fan service. Right. And that's what it is. So it's not a real serious thing. But there were some good speeches. You know, I mean, Ron DeSantis rocked the house. You know, your governor. I love that guy. Um, Trump rocked the house. You know, so there was a lot of, of good stuff going on and a lot of cringe in between. Mm -hmm. But it's a chance to see all the people I, I know and like, you know, uh, who are all in the same place at the same time. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be a very eclectic cast of characters around anything political. Um, you know, whether it's left or right, you're going to see all kinds of different, you know, people. But, um, you know, just to give you my I did watch DeSantis's and Trump's speeches and DeSantis was 20 minutes of like meat and potatoes, mm -hmm. just like, you know, strong. I mean, and, and the guy's phenomenal. I mean, one of the reasons why I live in Florida is because I think he's such a good leader and, and you know, really kind of bucked what was going on with COVID a couple of years ago when it was a very scary thing to do and there was real risk involved. Right. And he really led the way for everybody else. So I enjoyed his speech. But then you watch Trump as the headliner on Saturday, and it was vintage Trump. It was one of the best speeches I've seen out of him in quite some time. Um, and, you know, Trump is really as much of like a cultural commentator and, you know, an entertainer and a showman as much as anything. But it was 75 minutes of just, it was a Trump. phenomenal, it, it was Trump. It was <laughs> Trump at his finest. And the guy's 75 years old. He looks a little bigger um, yeah. of late, but I mean, it's just, the guy's got incredible energy. And what, what I noticed, too, around CPAC was just how many people are still so much in the Trump camp in terms of oh, yeah. bumper stickers, hats. Uh, He's the 800-pound gorilla, and, and he, was yeah. in, he was in rare form. You know, that, that's, and honestly, that's his favorite thing to do. Yes. You know, he, he loves giving stump speeches to an adoring crowd more yeah. than anything else related to politics. Uh, and you know, to the extent that he was a, a great president, 
He was. He gave us three Supreme Court justices that saved the republic. If Hillary had appointed those three Supreme Court justices, we might be in the hills right now, you know, running our own uh, operation. I would at least. And, right. I, you know, because they would have taken away the, the Bill of Rights. So Trump saved us from all that. And now, you know, he's he's probably going to have some competition, I think. I don't think he's going to run unopposed, but it's going to be tough to knock him off the perch. It's going to be really difficult. And, you know, I love Ron DeSantis. I, you know, he's got so much momentum behind him. And, of course, there's a lot of people that would like to see that showdown. Mm -hmm. But as great as he's DeSantis, not going to fight Trump. Yeah. And, and that's what I think, too. I mean, look, he can continue to run this state like a boss through 2026 and he'll have plenty of time for 2028. Yep. And look, I know things are in dire straits right now. Um, we're all concerned about what's going on, but, um, you know, we're going to get through this time and hopefully in 2024 we can, whether it's Trump or somebody else mount a real challenge. And cause I, I mean, I, I was saying the other day, Jim, um, you know, it seems like the four years of Trump flew by in the blink of an eye and 13 months into Biden feels like an eternity. <laughs> it's It's been the most stunningly bad example of a lack of leadership that this country's ever seen. I don't I don't think there's a, anything you can even compare it to. I thought you know, Jimmy Carter was horrible. I was just old enough when Carter was president to know how bad he was and how bad things were. Uh, Biden makes him look like a champ. And, yeah. I, and I think that's you know, that's actually a bonus. Because if we had had just another four years of Trump, and my wife made this uh, statement it, it, that it wouldn't be the worst thing if Trump lost, because if we had eight years of Trump, then we get eight years of a Democrat. Now we're going to get four years of Biden, demonstrate just how awful life under Democrat rule is, and we will absolutely have a Republican president. And I think that, to me, is, is a bonus because we saw they've shown how bad they can be. And that was important. You know, People need to feel the pain before they'll actually get off their asses. I totally agree. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people and sometimes I feel this way, too. You know, I'll be hard on Trump and it's because he did so much. Your expectations were so high. Mm -hmm. And he's again, he's such a great order and in and, and, and messenger. Um, you know, people expected him to change everything, all of the deep rot, um, you know, in D.C. But this is a process that's going to take a lot of time. And I think what he really did was put people on notice how bad things are. Mm -hmm. And that one man alone can't solve all of our problems. It has to, it has to happen at the local level, regional level, state level, um, all the way up to the federal government. And, you know, this is, uh, we've got our work cut out for us, don't we? Oh, without a doubt. But like I said, I'm glad Biden has sucked like a turbo Dyson because he's made it impossible to ignore. And now yeah. I think the, the good thing from my view is the counterattack is obviously underway. You know, my, I mean, my book's winning the second civil war without firing a shot because we are at war. The left's been at war for a long time with us. And, you know, we've been trying, those of us who play this game, to rouse the people, you know, and, and get them involved and say, hey, they're stealing this. You know, their fundamental transformation is working. And now I think it's gotten bad enough and it's become personal enough. You know, the COVID bringing everybody home, people have lost jobs. They see what the, the schools are teaching their kids. It's now unavoidable to such a large swath of the populace and they're fed up. They're like, no, we didn't vote for that. We're not willing to put up with that. And I see now the, the joyous rising of the we, the people, you know, and, and getting in the game. And it's uh, it's heartening from my perspective. Yeah, it is. And I, I really do like the title of your book, Winning the Second Civil War, because that's an attention grabber, but it's without <laughs> firing a shot. And yeah. that's the caveat. This is something that can be done um, in a peaceful way. 
So let's talk a little bit more about that. You know, I've done a little bit of homework on you and you're really a cultural warrior fighting at the very front and trying to, you know, spread the gospel of, of, you know, what's been happening and what people need to do. So tell us a little bit more about winning the second civil war, about what this book is all about. Well, we started off, I think people didn't recognize how effective the left had been at gaining control of the cultural and political and economic uh, and legal institutions yeah. in America. They took them over. You know, they started in academia. They they went down into education, uh, popular culture. They always basically owned. But then they got the permanent bureaucracy of government at all levels. And with all of those combined and the message machine of the media on their side, they basically control what Americans see and consequently think. There are too few people who take the time to dig in themselves or have the time. You know, most of us have jobs and are living and doing things that stop us from that. So I think they were winning to it to an extent that was horrifying. Uh, when Obama came in, he had the opportunity to be the great uniter. Uh, instead, he told the activist and extremist groups of the left, no, all your grievances are real. Yes, Black Lives Matter, systemic racism is real, and every single thing bad in your life was caused by evil white people. And I think that lit the fire that led to Trump. Trump was the reaction to Obama pushing things so far that direction and, and becoming you know, a globalist, um, woke world in our own country that Trump was the, the rebound from that. And the best thing about Trump, I think, other than the Supreme Court justices, mm -hmm. was the fact that he caused the left to rip the masks off and show their true commie colors. They're like, hell yeah, we hate this country. Yes, you white people are racist. Yes, everything's wrong, and we're going to burn it down and build a new one. And I think that's where we, we came when Biden, you know, we were at that point when Biden came in. And now our team has been seeing that. And the book from, from there forward, I, I, I detail that. From there forward, it's just how do you get back in the game in all the areas they took from us? And it's like a do-it-yourself guide for populist, uh, nonviolent revolution. And, and that's really what we want to focus on at the Base Brotherhood is what people can do on a personal level with friends and family and with the people around them to understand what's going on, anticipate what's going to happen, and have the, the right plans in place. I want to go back to something you said about Obama, because I remember whenever he ran, it was just these empty platitudes. And he could deliver them better than anybody could. Yeah. I remember he would like look out over the crowd and he would angle his- <laughs> That know, hope stare. Yeah. yeah. And he would just kind of like look out over the top of people's heads. And it was, and I remember listening to it and I thought everything he's saying is just, it's bullshit that doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. And of course we heard Biden do that last night, but he is not nearly as good of a de deliverer of that. But I think about how it was very, it was an easy sell back in 2008 because people were so- disgusted, exhausted, and fed up with, you know, what had happened during the Bush administration. Right. And, um, and so it just was kind of right there for the taking for him. But then over time, you know, a couple years later with, with Obamacare and the way that was rammed through Congress in the most distasteful way um, to where the American public really was very hesitant to see this happen, but he pushed it through. But then it just over time, you got to see his true colors. And in those last four years, you really got to understand how divisive this guy was. Yeah, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon Martin. You know, the police acted stupidly about Henry Louis Gates. Yes. You know, he did. He jumped on the Mike Brown bandwagon and he, he basically just poured gas on all the left wing activist fires and BLM formed during his second term.
You know, I mean, it was it was all in reaction to the fact that instead of saying, you know what, you know, black people in America, yeah, there are some problems, but you guys got it pretty good. You know, right. life is is really phenomenal for all of us. Why don't we stop being, you know, separated into our politically correct, you know, identity politics categories and become Americans and pull together? And he was like, nope, <laughs> we're going to divide yeah. and conquer. And that's where they've been. Which is extremely dangerous. Yeah. Uh, whenever you start getting people thinking about, you know, identity politics becomes hardcore tribalism at a certain point. Mm -hmm. And if it continues down this route, then that's where we're going to end up, you know. So it's 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 highly concerning. And, um, you know, I really do appreciate what you're doing. So let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, pragmatic things that people can do to, you know, kind of prepare for what's coming in this, I would say, kind of a soft splitting. That's yeah. happening right now with some kind of a civil war and then how we can potentially get everybody back together again. Let's talk about that. Well, I would say, you know, our, our mutual friend Dave Reboy talks about the national divorce. Yes. Um, I, that's too complicated because we'll get down to the deep argument. Who gets the national debt and who gets the nukes? Right. You know, exactly. you can't ever fix that because no. you know, and they get the debt, we get the nukes. And then I'd actually do it. If we could work that out. Um, but what we're having actually, and, and you mentioned the danger of tribalism. It is dangerous. However, federalism and tribalism are our best friends right now. And I think if you if you take that mentality that the left as currently constituted and running the Democrat Party is a danger to the republic, then we have to act that way. So doing things like moving to Florida, like you and many other people did, mm -hmm. um, moving to Texas, moving to Tennessee. You know, I, I have a lot of friends who've done that, too. And we turn Virginia back from where I live from blue to red. So but gathering our people into a tribe that's willing to stand up for ourselves the way the left does is a vital first step. We have to stand strong and firm and say that the the political right, the conservatarian right is which, which is where I sit, um, is a real and good thing. And we're going to stand up and fight for it. And I think that is, is something that hasn't happened. You know, the right has constantly been detached from that, unwilling to do it. And consequently, the left put us right to the, the precipice of losing this second civil war. So I think first thing to do is, is just establish that you are a member of the tribe of the political right. Use federalism to gather and then be prepared to fight for that. Yeah. And one of the big things we have to do is increase awareness because, you know, we're having this conversation and we'll blast it out at our channels. You know, we're just getting started. So this is new. But, you know, I think about how a lot of people that would hear what you're saying, hear what we're trying to do, and they would really identify with that, but it's not a message that a lot of them are being exposed to mm -hmm. if they're watching, you know, Fox News or a lot of mainstream legacy media, even if it's on the conservative right, they may not really be attuned to this. And so I want to ask you, like, how can we get the word out there? And is this something that you see spreading and going from, you know, maybe our part of Twitter um, mm -hmm. and people that are more politically inclined? Is that going, is that kind of trickling into the mainstream? Do you see that it, it taking hold? Oh, I do. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I think one of the best things was kind of the fragmentation of online media. You know, it started off where, okay, obviously when back in the day, you know, the, the networks controlled everything and then the major cable news channels controlled everything. Then with the rise of blogs and social media and things like that, the people got a voice. You know, I had a blog on the newspaper website in Madison, Wisconsin in 2005, which was a long time. It was one of the first in the country. 
And since then, now anybody can. You've got a, the Base Brotherhood podcast is going to be an outlet for these kind of ideas because once people see it and they say, yes, those are my people, they can join and there are mechanisms to do that. And so we have to support those things. You know, that's the difficulty is it's very easy to say, well, you know, I don't want to subscribe to this or I don't want to pay for content. I don't want to support people doing this kind of work. Um, but you have to. And you should stop supporting our enemies. You know, so there's there's a concept of finding ways to create new projects that are going to cost some of us money. Thank I you. subscribe to more things, you know, than than I want to because I want more people to do things. And so consequently, you know, I, I saw the name Base Brotherhood. I'm like, I'm in. Yeah. Because, you know, that to me is a is a a community that I want to grow. You know, and I, and I want to talk about that later, what what base means to all of us, because I think it's undefined yet. I agree. We need I to talk about that. Define that. But yeah, I think, you know, re using the, the capabilities we now have to segment and find your people, once you find them, support them and then spread them. And then and it's it's a it's a viral thing. I mean, that's the beauty of it. You know, any of these things can become the next thing or at least a next thing. And that's that's important. The more that goes out there, the more people see it. This is huge what you're saying right now, because we have a tremendous opportunity in new media. And I've, you know, I've noticed overly over the last year or so, you know, I've, I've seen it more than ever since all of these people were deplatformed, including the mm -hmm. sitting president of the United States and many, you know, conservative influencers and just people that were contrarians in general getting booted. Um, it's, it wasn't just, you know, people on the right, although it was most, uh, you know, mostly concentrated on the right, but people are seeking new platforms, new channels, new voices. It's a huge opportunity, but I think you hit on something in that it does require effort. Mm -hmm. Seek and ye shall find. I mean, if you're going to passively, if you're going to pay $150, $200 a month for cable television, and you're just going to passively consume media, you're going to be out to lunch and you're padding the pockets of people that don't like you. Mm -hmm. What I do and what people, you know, I spend 50 bucks a month on internet and then I have, you know, I consume media a la carte right. via YouTube or Rumble, maybe Odyssey every now and then. Um, you know, there's maybe people you should subscribe to on their Substack. But guys, go follow Dave Substack, Dave Rayboy. But, um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of people out there that are producing content a lot of times and it's, they're not seeing a payoff just yet. But what conservatives or right-wing people have to do is identify those people and spend five dollars a month on subscribing to their Substack or whatever mm -hmm. they're doing. Um, it, it's it's a huge change in in the entire landscape because that didn't exist ten years ago. You know the opportunity to make at least some sort of of living, some sort of reward for putting the effort into being a content creator wasn't there, and now there there it's displacing the legacy media operations. You know, and and it'll exist as long as there are boomers, right? And, and as long as there are people who are are not engaged. You know, there's a certain number of people who are just not going to put in the effort. Okay. Right. But if enough of the rest of us do put in the effort, then when we encounter them, we'll be better prepared to talk to them. You know, I mean, when you, when you show up at the barbecue, if you're getting your information from CNN, you're going to be an idiot. If you're getting your information from Fox, you'll be slightly less of an idiot, but not informed enough. And if you're right. getting it from people you have triangulated to on social media and the other distribution platforms, who put out smart content, and then you take the time to check out and, and make sure what they're saying isn't garbage, you're going to actually be informed and you're gonna be a positive impact on our culture. And you'll help make our culture popular because our culture is better than theirs. 
It's better than the left's. The left's makes you feel good. Ours actually works. Right. And we are the countercultural movement now. <laughs> Isn't that uh, crazy? You know, is it, crap, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy how it flipped. And it's like, I have a friend of mine who, um, you know, PhD, biomedical engineer, and, you know, he voted for Obama the first two times. And then he enthusiastically supported Trump both times. And he loves Trump. And he said, you know, I haven't really changed all that much. But it's and, just the world changed around me and I'm just paying attention. And I see what I know what time it is. And, <laughs> right. I so, love that. Yep. Yeah. And then here's the interesting thing, because the left went so whack. And, and again, you can thank Trump for that. All right. They were they were going along slowly. This is another one of my wife's great, you know, uh, views is she saw that it was a, a marketing campaign that was working for them slowly. You know, they were boiling the frog and nobody was noticing. And all of a sudden, when they got so mad at Trump, they they went ahead and went all out. And they're like, we're going to go for the full revolution. And people don't want the, their full revolution. And they didn't notice what, what it was going on with their slow march, you know, their long march to socialism. Uh, yeah. People just didn't notice it that much. Now that they did, we can say, OK, now that we see what's happening, how do you want to live? You know, do you want to live in a crap hole, Democrat ruled city? with, you know, dung on the streets and junkies <laughs> and crime and, you know, and yeah, looting stores, and, all yeah. of that stuff. Is that where you want to live, carjacking? Or do you want to live in a free state like Florida or a free commonwealth like Virginia, where you let people make decisions for themselves and hold them accountable for their actions, but allow them the freedom that God granted us and all of our founding documents guarantee? I totally agree. I, I want to add, you made me think of something. Um, do you think that people on the left are, are people that are maybe more moderate that voted for Joe Biden? How are they feeling right now with what's happened over the last 13 months? Are you getting, what kind of feedback are you getting from your, uh, you know, more moderate or liberal friends, if you have any? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I spend a lot of time. I lived in Madison and when I was there, you know, Madison, Wisconsin makes Berkeley, California look conservative. Wow. And when I was there, you know, I was everyone's Republican or conservative friend because they only knew one. Right. So <laughs> used to hanging out among the left and I and I follow them. And, and the thing is, like you said, the, the hardcore leftists don't care. You know, they don't care right. what he does. They're they're revolutionaries. They're mm -hmm. secular religionists, zealots on their side. But the rest of the people who just are kind of historic Democrats mm -hmm. are disgusted. You know, you can't not be. You can you can look at the spin. They're so bad at the spin. You know, the reality is so bad. You can't spin it out of the fact that it actually sucks. And so there's a there's an opportunity now for the right to show if we can show we have a better idea that those people should cross the line. You know, and I know you've never been a Republican and I'm not a Republican. I've never registered as a Republican, but I vote Republican because that's anti-Democrat, anti-leftist. Mm -hmm. And it's the best we've got. So right. I think there's a there's an opportunity to bring more people onto our side as the, the party of liberty and prosperity and security. Yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit about kind of incubating new leaders on the right. Uh, one of the so, you know, actually lives right across here, right across Biscayne Bay is Peter Thiel. Uh, he ah. lives in the Venetian Islands and he has, you know, he's endorsed and, uh, you know, Blake, I think Blake Masters ran the Thiel Foundation. But, um, you know, Blake Masters in Arizona is someone who I think is an exciting candidate, mm -hmm. someone who not only is 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 based and, and you know, a great conservative, but also looks good. He looks the part, which is something right. that not everybody, I mean, the optics are there. 
-hmm. the projection is there. I mean, this is a guy that I think is going to make huge waves. But I think about how the right has not put as much effort into finding and then incubating young talent, young political talent as the left has. Um, You look at someone like Obama. You know, he was groomed since, uh, you know, Yale was Harvard Law School, probably even before then at Occidental Occidental College. This is a guy that was groomed and always looked as to be a president. And, you know, he was he was well prepared, you know, to be there. And I think about, uh, you know, think about AOC with Justice Mm -hmm. Democrats. She basically won a casting call of 10,000 entrants. (laughs) And and she was she had the right visuals and the right personality and energy and vibes. And they, she became a superstar overnight, but that was intentional. Mm-hmm. That wasn't by accident. Right. And so one of the things I think about on the right is there's got to be a lot more, um, and this comes from the donor class, the people that really have money and are well healed. There needs to be a way to start finding, identifying, and incubating, developing young talent on the right way better than it's been done in the past. And I think you may see it with Teal and his involvement in, in, mm-hmm. in politics. Um, do you think that's, am I right in, in my view that this is something that we have to work on? And do you think it is being worked on? I think it's starting. And I think Teal is obviously one of them. I, that's one of the historic things is on the right, politics was never looked at as a great career path. You know, if you were smart and, and talented in the political right, you went into business, you know, <laughs> you didn't go into politics. And that's, uh, that's something that for the left, going into politics is like a celebrity move, you know, and it's, it's part of their religion, you know, so it's looked at as your, your karma is good and all of those things, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's respected on the left to be an activist and a politician. And they have a farm team system. Like you said, you know, you Absolutely. start in the activist organizations, you intern, you join them, they, they incubate you, they pay them, right? They've got the money and behind all their foundations between Steyer and Soros and the rest to pay these people while they're not in politics. Then they go in and out of the administrations. So they learn the ropes or they, they go into local politics and eventually up to federal politics. So there is, there is an entire giant farm system and an organization to support that. We've never had that, you know, and, and our side doesn't play well together. You know, we're, no. we're all the Eagles don't flock and all that kind of crap. And consequently we don't build those institutions and we never respected it. And look where it got us. We're, we're close to losing the Republic because we didn't pay attention to who had their hands on the levers of power. So I think you, you have to now include political activism or the, the, influence on the political process as part of being a member of the freedom-loving right. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, the tech libertarian kind of crowd, you know, Teal comes out of that. A lot of the the tech bros and crypto guys and things like that who've come out of that part of making new money, they want the government off their back. You know, crypto is all about, hey, you can't watch what I'm doing, you know? It's about building your blockchain, lets you build organizations around validation that's not controlled by someone else. So I think if we can get that as the new donor class and convince them that you can't just wall yourself off, you know, because you can hide behind it, you have to play the game to stay safe and, and keep the left off your back. I think we can build that thing that we don't have that you just mentioned. Well, I love that idea because th- there are a lot of libertarians in tech and in crypto. Mm-hmm. And I've actually, there's one guy I follow, Ryan Selkis, that, um, mm-hmm. You know, it's more of kind of a little bit moderate left guy, 
and he voted for Biden because a lot of people were emotionally exhausted with Trump. Not so much Trump, but everything around him. Right. Which not necessarily he didn't necessarily create all that, but it was a reaction. to him. He did his part, though. Let's be clear. (laughs) Trump helped. Well, I mean, look, I mean, it was a toxic environment and Trump, (laughs) for all of his talent, wanted to win. You know, he every battle was the last war and he fought it that way. And it was like, listen, man, some stuff you can just let go and move on. Let's focus on the big stuff instead of, you know, going after Maggie Haberman and then giving her some kind of uh, inside scoop on like on an interview. It's like, dude, what are we doing here? Like, we got to break out of this. But that said, I've noticed that some of these guys that are more crypto blockchain um, focused were hoping that Biden could bring regulatory clarity in a positive way for the crypto space. Mm-hmm. Not only is that it's not happening the way that they thought at all um, with what's, you know, with with some of the with the current SEC chair, uh, with some of the things that Biden administration has said, where it looks like they may be trying to vilify Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as something that is undermining the dollar, which is not true at all, necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. But they see it as an imminent threat. And so some of these guys that are a little bit more in the middle are realizing, wait a second. We've got to find like people that are cryptos a priority, and it seems like that's starting to emerge on the right a little bit. Like Ted Cruz has right. uh, is all about Bitcoin and making Texas, um, you know, the Bitcoin state. You see it with Cynthia Loomis, uh, Senator Cynthia Loomis up in Wyoming, has done a been a tremendous advocate for crypto. So I think you're right. There's an opportunity there, and we need to go after those people. And I think crypto could be a winning issue for the right if we mm-hmm. take advantage of it. Yeah, and what were these people who voted for Biden thinking he might be good on regulations around, you know, crypto and blockchain? <laughs> He's a statist. You know, the entire left yeah. is statist. How are they not going to regulate something that essentially freezes the state out of, of transactions? You know, I, that, was a, that was a failure to plan. And I think if we can look at those people now and say, all right, here's what we'll do for you. We'll leave you alone. You know, please build cool new stuff and we'll use it as soon as you show us how it affects things in a positive way. You know, and that's where I think, I mean, having somebody like Cruz talking about it. And I think the the mentality now among a lot of the tech folks who have been inside the, the tyrant organizations, you know, the Google, Apple, Facebook, those guys, and seeing how the woke lunacy is destroying those companies. You know, they make they, they're going to stifle, you know, innovation and everything else, because if you if you think you were passed over for anything and you happen to be melanin enhanced, well, it wasn't because you weren't as good. You yeah. know, it's because of systemic racism and that's tearing those companies apart on the inside. So I think there's an opportunity for the people who want to you know, succeed on their own merits, whatever color, you know, or mentality or ideology or religion or sex. or one of the two legitimate genders they are, you know, I don't care who you are. And honestly, I don't care what you want me to call you. I'll call you whatever name you want. But if you've got talent and you've got skill and you want to exploit that and rise on your own merit, welcome to our team, you know? Right. It's it's a winning issue. And let's pray to God that uh, it's something that the right and that the Republican Party will embrace because, you know, look, there's an argument to be made that, you know, Bitcoin being paired to the dollar, it could be the dollar's saving grace where people are, right? Yeah, and I, I don't know, I, I'll be honest. I understand um, the concepts behind it and I understand and I like blockchain more than I like crypto because right. I think blockchain is a tool and crypto is 
kind of a thing that still requires a lot of, you know, a lot of people to love it in the same way to right. maintain value. But the blockchain right. piece allows a lot of things to be built that can be validated and used. Like you could do it for elections. You can use it for all kinds of, of other ways to organize transactions that I think is incredibly um, useful. So I think, and, and I think crypto to some extent is going to be, because it's no different than a fiat currency. It's just not backed by a state. Okay, I get it. Um, that's, a, that's a heavy hill to climb, but right. they're climbing it, you know, and good on them. Right, I'm with you there. So I, I want to talk a little bit about what we can do. And we, we touched on this a little bit, but it, it's more than just, um, you know, media sources. Mm -hmm. But it's really about, um, we need to circulate currency within people that share the same values. And this is one of the big issues that I've had. This, I remember, I read this recently, there was a study done that asked, you know, both Democrats and Republicans, that if you knew a company was your of your opposite political ideology, would you boycott that company? So 41% of Democrats said they would absolutely boycott a right-owned company. Mm -hmm. 41%. When you look at the at, at Republicans, I think it was something like 7% said they would boycott. Yeah. I left so you think about that and it's like our niceness or wanting to play ball or just wanting to look at things based on merit and having the best product or having the best service we don't really care about any of that stuff well that can really work against you in certain ways in terms of you're just spending money with people that um they really would like to see your demise and they want to grow their own power base and there's got to be a way to where we can change that mm -hmm. and i'm just a big believe you know and, and it comes down to forming communities and tribes but finding a way to support right-owned businesses i think it's got to be a, a huge priority how can we do that it's, I mean, there are people working on projects like that, and I'm one of them. So, oh, really? Uh, we'll be, okay. Yeah, we'll be announcing some stuff later this year around the idea of basically not paying our enemies, you know, and yeah. I, I, I don't want to go too deep into it until we, we're ready to launch, but there's, there's some things you can do, and, and it's, it's going to take a little bit of discomfort, you know? We, we're so used to convenience. You know, if I lose electricity for 15 minutes, it's the end of the world. You know what I mean? Right. If, if for some reason I don't have all of my modern conveniences or exactly what I want when I want it, it's, it's quite possibly the end of the world. Right. And we need to get away from that a little bit. Yeah. You know, maybe I don't have all the channels I want. Maybe I don't. I, I try to shop at Walmart because they're marginally less bad than Amazon, you know, and, and they'll deliver the same crap to my house that's made in China. I try to buy from companies that manufacture the United States. So we need to identify those and we need to make that almost a cultural moray, mm -hmm. you know, and, and say, hey, if you're, if you're, why are you buying from them? You know, why do you own Google stock? Why do you own Apple stock? I know you're making money and you're killing this country, you right. know? So there needs to be an element of not quite shunning, but stigma. Stigma is not a bad thing. There's a, there should be a stigma for doing things that damage the country and our freedom and there should be a reward for doing things that don't. And building the right those incentive mechanisms. structure. The exactly. right incentive structure, that's what we have mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. It, it, it can't just be, you know, there's a penalty, but you want to do something because there's a reward there. And I think about it for me, it's like if I need a plumber or I need a housekeeper, or there's a car wash or there's a local grocer that I can go to that, I, that they align with me, mm -hmm. I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. 
I needed a lawyer recently. We needed a business lawyer and I went through a couple things and my wife and I looked for some stuff. And then finally we got a recommendation from a conservative who was a lawyer to the right person. And I, and I, I said, you know, we want to make sure we have a, a lawyer aligned with our values. Mm-hmm. And when I first got on the phone with him, he says, you know, are you comfortable with that? He says, I'm to the right of Attila the Hunt. I said, we're going to get yeah. along. You know, we're, we're going to be fine. Yeah. And I think that's that's kind of where we need to be. And we need to build that. And I think, you know, not to, to segue your show for you, but to me, we need to build that's based. All right. Is totally. living your values. So living your values and doing the things that support your way of life and avoiding the things that are damaging to your human flourishing is based. And I think it, it's interesting because to me, the challenge now is based is so it's not quite anarchic, but it's not far. You know, it's, it's deep in the libertarian world because it basically says, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to figure out what's good for me, and then I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it well. Right. And then you know, I am insulated from that. But to have that freedom, we also have to support the structure around our world that can impact that. And so if we can't have free speech, then you have to organize around free speech. If we can't have you know, gun rights, then you have to organize around gun rights. So to the minimum extent that we need to, we have to figure out how based becomes an ideology, if not a political platform. It should never be a political platform, right? Because that would ruin it. But it should be right. the kind of people who support anti-statist government. Right. And that, that maybe, and maybe it's just that simple. You know, but I, I want to start that conversation. That's why I loved, you know, hey, sitting on the yeah. Base Brotherhood po- podcast, yeah. I want to say, if, you, if you're based and I can't tell you how to be based, you can't tell me how to be based, it's personal. You know, right. it's what works for you and good. I love that about it. But together, we all have to look beyond ourselves and then create that based tribe, which will be very anti-hierarchical, you know, right. and, and, but enough to band together against a common enemy and do what we have to to make sure that we maintain our personal liberty that's that's an excellent summation and everybody has their own definition of it and you've given me a lot of material there i think one thing you hit on is that it, it's not just about one person you know leading and everybody else falling in line it's about mm-hmm. servant leadership it's about linking people together forming a sense of community because there's one thing about this group of people is that if somebody starts to show their head or get a little too big for their britches, to use an antiquated <laughs> term, they will be, they're not, people aren't going to like that. Right. And so it's really about, again, like servant leadership, showing people the way, being able to make sacrifices. And I think, you know, you were talking a little bit earlier about how everybody gets so fragmented and atomized. We've got to come together and like, look, there's some big things that we've got to agree on. There are common reference points that we have to agree on. And then all these other little spurgy debates about, you know, which happens on Twitter all the time, you know, and people end up hating each other. And it's like, guys, we're trying to fight for the same thing. Like, we've got to have some cohesiveness here. Yeah, 80% is good enough. You know, I mean, if we're, if we agree on 80 plus percent of the major things, I don't care if you like crappy music, you know, I don't care if you, if you do some things even that I disagree with, and I think are counterproductive. Yeah, I'll tell you about that. Okay, like you said, the the community can self-police by not policing, but by attaching a stigma to it. If you're doing something and enough people think it's a bad idea, you might have to rethink what you're doing. And you still don't have to change your mind, right? That's the whole point. 
is we want to have the freedom to do what we think is best, but we should be cognizant of how that affects the larger community because that is what supports our ability to enjoy our liberty without being, like you said, too fragmented to oppose the statists who want to rule our lives. Yeah, and, that, and that's a, it's a, it's a it's a huge challenge. It's in a certain way we're being forced into it mm -hmm. in terms of like this world of decentralization because you know platforms aren't available to us saying certain things isn't available. So we've got to come together and again build from the ground up. I mean that's what being based is. You're building something from the ground up. But you know I look at it, you know and I've actually written this down. And I don't think base can be defined any singular way. But I, I again, I come back to it's people that have common reference points of respect for history, tradition, and that we understand the world is changing and we can't go back. Mm -hmm. We can't go back to Ronald Reagan. We can't go back to you know, this bygone era, but we can take the best of that into the future and build something together. And that's what it's really all about. And that's what I want this channel to be where we find people of like mind, people with you know a wide age, age range, and show them that there's hope, there's like there's things we can do in our lives, and we don't just have to sit around on, on Twitter and bitch and be dystopian and, and, and doom and gloom, because there is a way forward if you believe there is. There's and, and always I, a path forward, Jim. Yeah, no, and, and I am probably one of the most optimistic. Our, our, our buddy Reboy, he, I used to call him Eeyore. He'd be like, we're doomed, Jim. <laughs> it's all good. And yeah. I'm, I'm the opposite because I don't think they can beat us, especially now that they've awoken the silent majority. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they were getting away with it because they were slick and they were marketing it and they're creative and all those things. And we weren't paying attention. We were living our lives and we thought the Constitution protected us. It still does. However, <laughs> we have to get in the game and ensure that they don't take those things away. And right. I think that's where the, the idea that, I want to be able, I want to be free to do what makes me happy. You know, what what makes my life a, a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. But I want to also contribute because I didn't get this for free. We're standing on the shoulders of everyone who went before us. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think we owe them and we owe future generations a little bit of skin in the game to keep the republic smoothly functioning. And we happen to be at what could have been a tipping point. You know, the the left wanted to tip us over the line into full-on statism. And now that we've at least noticed that they were doing it, we have to figure out how all of us eagles, you know, can flock. And I, I always say, well, lions hunt in a pride, you know? So right. if you right. can't flock as an eagle, then let's kill some hyenas because there's plenty of them. Yeah, well, we're doing it with the show and, and you're doing it with your book. And it sounds like you've got some exciting projects that, you know, you're working on right now. But, you know, I, I think about um, how a lot of Americans have lost perspective about how good we really have it, to your point earlier. Mm -hmm. And how, you know, I've done some travel to Europe and to the Middle East and into, you know, Mexico and South America. And we have it amazing here. And a lot of people, right now you see a lot of people that, um, you know, the whole like digital nomadism. Like right. younger people particularly that are location independent and they can work off, off a laptop in a coffee shop at any location. And so they'll go to these different places and they'll, you know, embrace the culture but after like six months or a year, or maybe a couple of years, they start to realize, wait a second, maybe America wasn't all that bad. I want some Chick-fil-A, you know, where's yeah. that? You know? <laughs> yeah, like I want service people that are actually gonna like give me service right now, lickety split and not take yeah. their sweet time about it. You know, there, and there's also a dynamism in America that's mm -hmm. unlike any other place. And it's yeah, something yeah. that once people have a taste of that, you can't get away from it. 
I mean, it's like you have, this is where the fight is. And, you know, again, my wife's from Lebanon and I've talked to people in Lebanon and they basically, they've seen what's going on really in this, you know, with the 2020 election, I think was a huge wake up call for people all over the world mm-hmm. in terms of how that unfolded and the results of it and just everything that happened afterward. And now they see what's going on with Biden and the Afghanistan withdrawal, which was one of the worst debacles. I mean, which was demoralizing mm-hmm. um, for, you know, someone that not, didn't serve in the armed services, but has family members that did and has a tremendous amount of respect for people that have. That was very difficult. Now we see what's going on and it's a tenuous position, um, but it's something that we can still make something here. Anyway, I'm gonna go back to the Lebanon thing. There's a people that rec- they recognize that if the United States fails and it doesn't pull out of this lurch that we're in, they're in big trouble too. Yeah, people like to say we're not the world's policemen. Um, yeah, we are. And we're also the world's guarantor of trade. You know, we're the one indispensable nation. And that, that's not an arrogant statement. That's a fact. Because absent our leadership, it will fall apart. We've seen that. And especially now. You know, the, other, the alternative is let the Chinese run things. And they'd love to, but they're not capable of doing it. So I think the, the idea that America has shown the ability to fail recently a number of times you know, like you said, Afghanistan, but overall, between the election and Afghanistan and Biden's entire debacle, people are looking at the United States and going, really? You know, yeah. I mean, are they, they, they used to be unbeatable. They, they hated us, you know, right. and, and it was envy in a lot of cases, but, and there was, you know, plenty of, we, we give people reasons, let's be clear, you know, yeah, absolutely. but the, you know, the idea that America did not have its ducks in a line enough to be the number one country um, horrifies the rest of the world in ways that our left doesn't understand. You know, they would burn it down and make us one nation among many and make us suck equally with everyone else. That's what equity means. You know, equity right. is everyone sucking at the level of the lowest suckage. Right. And sorry, you know, <laughs> yeah. no, we're not going to do that yeah. because we believe that if you if you unburden humans in a system that rewards uh, competence and hard work and all those things they'll show you what we're capable of. And that's where we were. And I think that's where a based mindset wants to return us to. Get out of my way, you know, provide the, the bare necessities I need to go along with this and I'll pay for those, mm-hmm. but get out of my way and, and let me work. And then I will decide through charity and other things how I wanna help those who aren't as capable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a mentality that I, I think goes back to almost the, the 50s but without the misogynistic, racist, and, and other you know, things of our past, remnants of our past, that were unhelpful. Now, base doesn't care. I don't care if you're black, white, brown, male, female, whatever. I don't care. All right? Are you any good? That's, ex- that's what I, I care about. Are you competent? Yeah. Can, you, can you bring something of value to the table for other people? Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. And if you can, you have a seat at the table. Like, let's do it. Let's go make things happen. I will lock arms with you and we'll walk forward. And, I, and I'm not about to, to stop someone from achieving what they want if they're not hurting me. If you're hurting me, we got a problem. If you're not, good luck. I don't care if you're doing something stupid. You know, do right. something stupid to your heart's content. As long as you're not damaging others, good on you. But if you're a competent person and you want to, to move towards a common good, um, you are on my team by default. And we'll, you know, I will work with you to the extent it's useful. Absolutely. And it's something that what's, what's really cool. I've seen with this whole like base fear 
is that there are guys all over and, and, and women as well, all over the world that are like they see this thing taking off and people again have these common reference points, you know, think like you and I do. And they like want to be a part of it and they draw inspiration from it. Mm -hmm. So well, and there's a strength to it. When you look at, at the kind of people who are based, first of all, there's there's the online arrogant presence, you know, the, the Chad and all the memes, which right. I love, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I think the NPC meme was one of the most accurate things ever done about the left, because yeah. in many ways, they're just waiting to be told what the issue of the day is, and then they will march and be angry or happy or whatever they're supposed to be. Yeah. And I think, you know, they, they are not thinking for themselves, but they take the position that their ideas are so much better that they don't have to question them. We do the opposite. We yeah. question everything. And, and, and if, you, if you tell me something, the first thing I'm going to do is, is think about it and say, really? You know, I, I'm not going to take it as, as gospel. Right. You know, I'm sorry. I'll take gospel as gospel. I'm not going to take anything else. And I think that's the difference is we are individual thinkers, but when we have a core set of beliefs we agree in or we agree on, those are are something we can coalesce around. Yeah, and it's something you just made me think about a conversation I had the other day uh, with somebody that is, again, like a passive consumer of media. And I, we were talking a little bit about what's going on in Russia, Ukraine. And I, you know, am, am just raising questions and saying, have you seen, it's more of just presenting information. Like, mm -hmm. have you seen this? Have you read this? And she, and she goes, where do you get your news from? <laughs> my friends I'm like, well, from like a variety of sources i mean like i use twitter as not just a place to talk but more than i mean the original reason i got on twitter is because i could curate curate content and news mm -hmm. sources and personalities and commentators from people that i liked and there's you know it all kind of amalgamates into something that makes sense for me right and it takes time to kind of learn how to do that and i just think about how we're kind of playing a different game but you know that other people that are just kind of watching whatever comes on so anyway i i I, I raised some questions for her and she was like, what the hell is this guy doing? You know, and sometimes I lose sight of the fact that we live in this world and we're hyper connected to each other. And, you know, we retweet things and, you know, message each other things. And for a lot of people, that's just not you're really within reach. And we have right. to do the best we can to kind of bring them into the fold. But the, the, the nice thing about it, I use Twitter to find out what the left is thinking. Okay. You know, and then because I know what my friends are thinking. I talk to them enough and and. I'm in the business. I read source material on our side. And then I, there are a few people on our side who are, are indispensable. But more, I want to know what the best argument against what I believe is so I can see if there's a hole in my argument. You know, if I have a, if I have a belief, I find the smartest person on the left arguing against that. I read what they're saying and then I read their source material and I go ahead and see, okay, am I, am I right? Am I wrong? Or is there a flaw in their game that I can then attack? Mm -hmm. And then I, I use Twitter because they can they get directly shown what I'm saying, even right. if they're more prominent. And I can go ahead and use them as kind of a sounding board for the people who are lurking because Twitter's 10 percent active and 90 percent passive people right. who are consuming. Those people are listening and looking to see who's winning the argument, whose arguments are better, whose arguments are more engaging, informative and correct and useful. And so I think it's, it's an opportunity for us then to, to be able to not just preach to the choir. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why I find some of the other social media is less useful because I, I don't want to talk to a bunch of people who already agree with me. Sometimes yeah, that, it's, it's helpful, but it's better to talk to the people who we can still convince about our ideas. And that was my next question for you is, 
even though Twitter has clamped down on free speech and deplatformed people and censored people and put, you know, basically trigger warnings on certain posts and recently saying, do you sure you want to tweet this? And I'm thinking, am I in Sunday school class? I mean, what are we doing <laughs> right. here? I didn't, I'm not even using profanity. You right. know, I mean, you're right. asking me, I think I got one that said, most people don't tweet things like this. Yeah, and I'm I not most people. Yeah, but it's just kind <laughs> of like, you know, there's a self-censorship that you have to exhibit a little bit on Twitter to kind of mm -hmm. play the game. Right. And you're a blue check and a known person, so you know how to manage that because the key is you want to stay in the game. You don't want to be taken out by saying something stupid and you're gone all of a sudden. But um, the, the, the value of Twitter is going to last for a long time. I know people are tr working on, you know, Gitter and there's, um, you know, Truth Social is coming out. And I don't know. I'm a little skeptical of these, Jim, and I don't want to put you on the hot seat if you don't want to be. Um, you know, in the usefulness of these things, because mm -hmm. they look like they're kind of Twitter replicants, but maybe geared in for the right. And maybe that's a good thing for people that just want to, it's a marketing channel, I think is the best way to, it, it's, yes. it's not necessarily a dialogue or a two-way dialogue or conversation where you're going to get all these different views, but it's a marketing channel where you can appeal to your core audience. There that's where there, that's where there's some value, I think. Yeah. And, and I'm good. You have to do that. It's like CPAC. CPAC is a chance to, to speak to our team and, and those other things are too. And they're a place for the people who are not capable of staying on Twitter. I'm, I'm severely throttled on Twitter. They actually had a sensitive filter on my profile for over a year <laughs> where it grayed out my picture and stuff. And if you clicked on my profile, you had to go through a thing that says, are this you know person does sensitive content? Are you sure you want to see this mm -hmm. to even get to my profile? That's crazy. So, and that was, you know, as a blue check, you know, they, they didn't care. And they still, I, I don't think mostly uh, people who don't, other than other blue checks who follow me, the, the rest of them don't see my content because they have a social media credit scoring system. They have algorithms that, that talk, you know, watch how mean you are and, and do you, you know, are you talking about things they don't like and all of that. And then they limit your reach. And I think we're going to have to fight that. Because I, I don't want us to be walled gardens of our own people just preaching to the choir. We need to be engaged where the left is, and the left will never join those sites. So we need to have a public square where we can fight these ideas out. And that's going to require, that's going to be part of the, the fight um, for the republic, is to get our shared information space back. And that's, that's something I talk about in the book and other places, because I, we don't have it. You know, we that's, are not on equal footing. Yeah. That's a legislative battle. That's a legal battle yep. in the trenches, high cost. Yeah. Um, Make super, them hurt. Yeah, I mean, but that's what we have to do because I, I look at, you know, big tech is basically a utility like the energy company or like right. the water company in terms mm -hmm. of it's almost, it's like a necessity. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you get booted off these platforms and you go to a place that's just minuscule in its reach, you really don't have the ability to participate anymore and maybe lose your livelihood. So if we don't find a way to turn back the tide um, on censorship and being able to access these platforms, but again, it's going to be a legislative fight. It's going to be a legal fight. Creating your own parallel society and ecosystem. Yeah, they'll never join. That's the problem. You and know, I think you hit on it, though. I think yeah. declaring them commodities. You know, you, yeah. the electricity company is not allowed to shut off my power because That's I've got a, a gun bumper sticker on my truck. Right. You know, and that's where we are with social media platforms that are so large and specialized enough. Twitter is one thing. Facebook is another thing. You know, and then if you look at how Google does search, you know, I think there's, there is a re, an ability to say, even though I despise government intervention, 
we've gotten to the point where you cannot get a straight answer on the internet about anything without a leftist filter on it. And that's unhealthy and that's unacceptable and intolerable. And if I have to use government power to hurt them, to make them change that, good, because we're at war and that's, that's what you do. Absolutely. I mean, again, it is a commodity. It is a utility. Um, I think the same thing is kind of true with planes as well. There's certain industries, I think, that actually need to be completely relooked at because um, they're not necessarily free market at all. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you can cut somebody out of society and we got to do something about it. Listen, Jim, we're we're coming up against it here at the hour. Is there anything else you want to leave? Uh, any other parting thoughts you want to leave our audience with? I, I love the idea of a based brotherhood. I love the the concept of of taking something as purely based on individual liberty and the strength of my own convictions and everybody else with a like mind and turning it into something more powerful. Yeah. Can't organize it, can't do any of those things, don't want to. Mm-hmm. I want to raise awareness of it, which is one of the things you asked. I, I want to raise awareness of it. I've got a book in editing. My next book is going to be Get Based. Yeah, well, no, let, let's talk about what you're working on right now. Tell yeah, us yeah. a little bit more about your book. Well, this one is because based is so personal that uh, it's about what helped me get what I think based is, you know, and what based is to me. And so it was getting healthy. You know, it was quitting drinking. It was learning um, where my strengths and weaknesses are and how to go ahead and start living in a more purposeful way. You know, doing more things myself. I, I got to the point where I used to, you know, sub out all my heavy lifting work. Well, I don't anymore. I cut trees, you know, I do, I wire electrical stuff in my house, you know, I dry age my own steaks, you know, I, there's a lot love of it. things you can do. Oh yeah. yeah and, and there's fun things about that. I've always done a little, I used to brew beer when I drank, but there's an idea of being self-sufficient and being a powerful, positive human being that I think is the self-reliant past. You know, it's almost like the old West, you know, where you had people who could go out. I could, I could build a cabin, I could fish and hunt and feed myself and live the rest of my life if I had to. Um, That mentality makes me a better member of society, a better neighbor, a better member of a community, and a a more, a happier person. Mm -hmm. And so I want that idea to spread. And so the book is just, you know, it's only probably gonna be 100, 110 pages, but it's about what I did that may or may not help you, but might help you focus on what you need to do. You know, if you're on the if you're on the path and and I want more people on the path, I want more self-reliant, positive, active, responsible people in my community. And so it's just like safety tips. You know, these are things I did. Why don't you try something? If it does, if that doesn't work for you, do what does Mm -hmm. test it. You know, I had to. I failed many more times than I ever succeeded because that's what you do. You got to get it out of the way and move on to the next thing. Yeah, that's it. So that'll be out in probably a couple months. All right, guys, look for it. And where can people follow you, Jim, um, to stay up with everything going on with Twitter's where I I hang out, at Jim Hansen DC. And that'll have links to if I do, you know, if it's TV or op-eds or other stuff, it's all going to be there somewhere, plus a lot of kicking the left right in the neck. I love it. Love (laughs) it. Well, Jim Hansen, thank you so much for joining the Base Brotherhood today. We appreciate you being so generous with your time, and we hope to do it again sometime in the near future. Pleasure being with you. All right. Thanks, Jim. Take care.